Hey, good morning. Good morning, good morning. As you've heard, my name is Daniel. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm helping hold the fort down as our lead pastors recover. And we're continuing our Ode to Joy today as we track through the letter of Philippians, and we'll be starting with verse 12. So if you brought a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12. We'll also have it on the screen as well as in the app with some great notes to go along with it. But if you missed last Sunday's message, I want to strongly encourage you to go back and to watch that so that you can catch up, get up to speed with verses 1 through 11 so that today will make even more sense. If you have the context of last week's opener, it'll help a whole lot more moving forward. And we're taking the time to go verse by verse and even highlight some specific words from these verses because there is a whole lot that we can miss in the word of God. Amen. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 that all scripture is God breathed or all scripture is inspired by God. So we're going to look at it as much as we can with great detail. Now in the first 11 verses of this letter, Paul shared his deep love for the Philippians. He doesn't mince words. Do you remember? He made it very clear how much he loves them and the special place that they held in his heart. He encourages them and he urges them to choose joy in the midst of their opposition because that's what he did time and time again. He chose joy in the middle of the opposition that he faced. He thanks the Philippians for their partnership. We learned that comes from the Greek word koinonia, meaning fellowship, and that's more than just coffee and donut and chit-chat in the hallway. That is actually side-by-side laboring together for the work of the kingdom. So Paul was thankful that the Philippians had partnered with them, him in that way. He lets them know that he regularly prays for them and that every time he thinks of them, he would thank his God. He reminds them, that God had begun a good work in him. That's what Dr. Mitch just shared with us. And he encouraged them that God's going to continue that work. Even if you don't feel it, even if there's evidence that's contrary, he's still working on you. He was still working on the Philippians, and he encouraged them in two different verses, verses 6 and 10, that God would continue that work all the way until the day of Christ Jesus' return. Well, beginning in verse 12, Paul answers some questions that he knows are on the mind of the Philippians. They know that he is in prison in Rome. What they don't know is how is he holding up under those conditions? So while Paul doesn't answer every question that they probably had, he does share a very, very unique perspective with them. And we're going to discover what that is this morning. But before we do... Think back through history at some of the people that did great things. They almost all did them in the context of very difficult circumstances. Dr. Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Corey Ten Boom, Jesus, Paul. They all made lemonade out of the lemons they got. You familiar with that saying? If life gives you lemons, then make lemonade. The problem is that the lemons... Oftentimes, and the lemons are our circumstances of life, oftentimes the lemons that we get, that we have to work with, are dried up and rotten, and it's really hard to squeeze anything good out of them. Have you ever felt that way? So why are some people, like those few I just mentioned, able to accomplish great things in the midst 
of great difficulty. And not only accomplish things, but do so while maintaining their composure and their purpose and their joy. I'm going to try and find out this morning. We'll be covering verses 12 through 30, and we'll split it into three parts. That's how our Bible does it. A lot of your Bibles might have a subtitle above these different sections. Verses 12 through 19, we'll look at Paul's joy that Christ is preached. Verses 20 through 26, Paul's life for Christ. And verses 27 through 30, live as citizens of heaven. We'll briefly unpack each of those verses, and then I'll give a takeaway for each section. So we shouldn't be here for any, you know, more than three hours or so, all right? Philippians chapter 1, and beginning in verse 12, Paul writes to the Philippians, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Amen? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work that your word does, for the work that it accomplishes in and through us. And Lord, I just 
I thank you for what you've been showing me through your word. And I ask that it would be easy to share that with our body this morning. That you would just make it come alive. That you would help us to live for you. Help us to choose joy in the midst of our opposition. Let it be easy to teach and easy to receive, easy to hear from you, Spirit of God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Verse number 12. Paul addresses his dear brothers and sisters. This again shows us the kind of love that he has for them. He knows that they're concerned for him, so he encourages them. And I believe in the process of encouraging them that he was also encouraged. I think his intention was to encourage them, but he was encouraging himself at the same time. For doesn't the Bible say we reap what we sow? So Paul sowed joy and encouragement into the Philippians. And therefore, I believe that as a result, that was part of the reason that he found joy and himself was encouraged. I want to challenge you to start sowing joy into someone else. We're looking for it ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. Start sowing joy into someone else. Start encouraging someone else in the opposition that they are facing. Help someone else achieve their dream, and just see what God might do in and through you as a result of it. Paul has this way of looking at the bright side of life, doesn't he? Or we could call it the God side of life. He said that everything that has happened has been helpful to his calling of spreading the gospel. That includes him being in prison, chained to a guard as he dictated this very letter that we're reading. Everything that had happened was helpful, not just necessary, but helpful. See, imprisonment did not stop his efforts, it merely shifted them. What if when faced with hard times, it didn't stop us, but it caused us to shift into a different direction. Paul redirected his focus. He never lost it. He just redirected it. Paul reframed his situation. We'll unpack that a little more later. And it's one thing to have joy in the middle of a bad situation. That's not an easy thing, but that's one thing. It's a whole other thing to look at that situation and see it as a stepping stone to what God has called you to do. To see your obstacle as part of the plan and preparation for advancement. I think this is what Paul's saying in verse 12. Everything that had happened was paving the way for him to preach the gospel. What an incredible perspective. Paul said, that's not a no, it's a new opportunity. What are you seeing in your life that you're like, well, nope, closed door. Maybe you just need to redirect your focus and approach it a little differently. Verse 13, being imprisoned actually gave him more opportunities to share Christ and reach an audience that he would not have reached otherwise. Being locked behind a door actually opened up more doors for him. Now, when Paul says that he is in chains because of Christ, he's not blaming Christ for it. He's saying, I accept this situation with joy because it's a result of preaching the good news about Christ. I was obedient to what God told me to do, so I am okay with being in this uncomfortable situation as a result of it. 
these chains linked him directly to a praetorian guard. These were the elite Roman palace guards, and he would be chained to one 24 hours a day. Paul quite literally had a captive audience, all right? You are free to roam about the cabin this morning, but Paul quite literally had a captive audience. They heard him talk about Christ to Timothy. They heard him dictate his letters. I imagine they heard him sing and worship because that's what we found Paul and Silas doing after their first trip to Philippi that ended them up in jail. And as a result, many of these guards accepted Christ as their savior. And I think that there's a word for somebody here. It's like, who do you feel like you're stuck in a relationship with? Hopefully it's not a spouse. But who do you, who do you feel like you have a captive audience with? Right? Maybe it's an old friend, maybe it's a work colleague, maybe it's someone that you've even tried to distance yourself from, but for whatever reason, you still are connected to them. Might there be a greater purpose for still having a captive audience with that person? This week, consider how you can share Jesus with them. Start just by sharing what Jesus has done for you. Verse 14, because of Paul's boldness and courage, believers became more daring in sharing their faith. Not only did they accept Christ as Savior, but they were like lit on fire and wanted to share it with others. Paul's bold faith was contagious. Is your faith contagious? There's a lot of contagiousness. Is that a word going on with COVID and Omicron and all this and that, right? Is your faith contagious? Christianity swept through the palace guard, lighting these guys on fire, and Paul recognized that what was happening to him was for the benefit of others and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Paul very well could have ended up having an even greater impact in prison than he ever could have had if he were free. In verse 15, we see that some other people started preaching while he was locked in prison. Some were preaching because they didn't like Paul. They didn't like his style. It's like they were in a competition with him. They preached for selfish reasons. See, with Paul in prison, they could steal the spotlight that his ministry had received. You know, in sports, when an MVP gets injured or sidelined for disciplinary actions or whatever, there are other players just chomping at the bit, ready to step into the spotlight. Not to help the team, but to make their name great, to get a bigger contract. That was the intentions of these guys. I can totally see this happening to Paul. Now, on the flip side, there were some that were preaching with a pure heart. Verse 16 comments on those and also alludes to the previous verse, mentioning those that preached with pure motives. And Paul states that they're doing that because they love him, because they recognize the calling on his life that he was appointed to defend the good news. The gospel is not something to attack with, but we must be ready to defend it. Amen? You don't attack someone with good news. You lovingly share it with them. If they question it or if they don't want to hear it, then you protect it. You defend it, but you lovingly and patiently give more reasons to try and help them reconsider because you know what it would do for them. 1 Peter chapter 3.15 says we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Other versions say, always be ready to 
explain, give an answer, or defend the hope that you have. And listen, your words, your actions, your reactions can be the best demonstration and defense of the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 17 comments on the previous two verses, this time highlighting those fake preachers, those ones full of selfish ambition, just in it for personal gain. Paul says that their intention or their plan was to make his chains more painful. The first time I read that, I was like, oh man, you know, this was really getting to Paul. It made his chains more painful, but that's not what we find here. He acknowledges what their intentions were. Their intention was to make his chains more painful, but they were not successful. Paul does not give them credit for making his chains more painful. He just acknowledged that's what they intended to do. But he clearly lets the Philippians know that he was not bothered by their motives and their intentions. The intentions of these poser preachers had failed. I think there's some times that we need to let the enemy know that he's failed. We need to call him out on it. We need to declare, we know what your intentions were, but they didn't work. We win. You lose, enemy. And then we need to let him know why. It's because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. Paul continues in verse 18 with this thought. He says, it's all good. It doesn't matter because the message of Christ was still being preached. And would still be productive in spite of their false motives. God still used those preachers with good and bad motives for his glory and for the good of the people hearing the truth. God's still doing that today. I don't think every preacher on TV is legit. But God still uses the truth of his word to save and heal and deliver those that need him. That are seeking him in spite of of man's motives. So Paul is still able to rejoice, and he declares that he will continue to rejoice. We'll see this again towards the end of the letter. This is foreshadowing Philippians 4. Paul's saying, I'm not going to let other people steal my joy. I'm not going to let my critics steal my joy. I'm not going to let this circumstance steal my joy. I'm going to rejoice anyway. Church, when it's hard to rejoice, we need to rejoice anyway. Don't let someone steal your joy. Don't let your situation steal your joy. Because if they steal your joy, they're stealing your strength. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if you can't find anything in the moment to rejoice about, remind yourself of the faithfulness of God in a previous season of your life. And encourage yourself with what God did then. And know that what he did once, he can do again. And by faith, declare to the enemy that you will keep on rejoicing and then keep on rejoicing. Now, something practical you can try to apply this to your life is just take some time to sit down with a pen and a paper and write down some of the ways that God's been faithful. Some of the things that God's done in your life that you can rejoice about. If you have a date that that thing happened, write that date along with it. Then post that list in a visible place and regularly read it out loud and rejoice about what God has done. Tell you what, that'll make the enemy mad, but it'll make the Lord so happy, and it'll make you feel real good too. In verse 19, 
we see that Paul trusted in the power of prayer and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And because of these two things, Paul has hope. And hope is so important. You can't live without hope. Cornell University did a study on 25,000 POWs from World War II. They found that people can handle a tremendous amount of stress and pressure as long as they have hope. But the moment that you lose hope, you're doomed. So here's an important question we have to ask ourselves. Where does my hope come from? And is that a reliable source? If your hope, if you try to find your hope in your paycheck, you're going to be disappointed. If you try and find your hope in your spouse, you're going to be disappointed. If you try and find your hope in the bottle, you're going to be disappointed. Our hope can only come from Christ. He is the only reliable source for hope. Paul knew where his help came from. Paul knew who his hope was found in. And Paul knew that just as the Philippians were praying for him, he was praying for them. And because of this, even though the situation looked grim, he was able to declare with faith that he would be delivered and he'd keep on rejoicing. A main takeaway from verses 12 through 19 for us this morning, you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. To frame something or really reframe something is to redefine a problem as a challenge. To look at something with a fresh perspective. Again, to redirect your focus. Paul was really, really good at this. Now we know it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? And the, tonight the Los Angeles Rams host the Cincinnati Bengals. Both teams have great rosters. Both teams have great quarterbacks, but neither one of them has the GOAT. The GOAT just retired. The GOAT also didn't close the door on a possible comeback. Tom Brady, of course, is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, at least at the quarterback position, if not all of football. Well, the GOAT, the greatest of all time at reframing the gospel or reframing the situation was the Apostle Paul. Paul had a strategic plan for advancing the gospel. Go to Rome. If he could get to Rome and preach Jesus to the leaders there, to the government officials, then that city would become a launch pad to spread the gospel all over the world. Well, Paul finally did get to Rome, but it wasn't to gain an audience with government officials. It was as a prisoner. He was locked up under house arrest, chained to a rotating contingent of guards, awaiting a possible execution. Paul prayed for an opportunity, but it wasn't happening, at least not how he had planned it. Paul's circumstances were out of his control. Circumstances are almost always out of our control. You've been where Paul was. You thought, if I do this, then that will happen. If I get this degree, then I'll get that job. So you got the degree, but you didn't get the job. Or you planned on being married by now to Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright. Maybe you found the right person to marry, but then everything went wrong in that relationship. That's not how life was supposed to go. That wasn't the plan. Maybe you've been praying for years for a prodigal child to return, and it seems like God has not answered that prayer yet. 
Paul was in the same situation. Circumstances he did not want and could not control. So he wrote to the Philippians about it. Now he could have written, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what's happening to me really stinks. It's not fair. I don't deserve this. This isn't what I had planned. I was supposed to preach the good news to the government officials there, but it didn't happen. So because of this, in this hell that I've walked through, prayer doesn't work. I'm not starting any more churches. That could have been what Paul wrote, but it wasn't. Remember, Paul couldn't control what happened to him, but he could control how he framed it. So Paul was saying, I imagine he's sending a text message. And he's like, he's like so guys, I had a plan, but God had a way better plan. This is a whole different way to advance the gospel. It's not a closed door. It's just a new opportunity. God's blessed me with prison guards that are chained to me. They have no choice but to listen to me talk about Jesus. And these guards I'm chained to have the ear of influential leaders. And get this, every eight hours, they chain me to another one. And they think I'm the prisoner. <laughs> LOL. Right? God is on the move. I can't wait to see what he does. Paul said, I had a plan, but God had a better one. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, we can make our plans but the Lord determines our steps. This is how we need to live. This is how Paul lived his life. You cannot control what happens to you, church, but you can control how you frame it. And when you reframe your mind, you refresh, you restore your perspective. So stop seeing your chains as a problem. Instead, think of them as a challenge. One, that you are equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. Start seeing your obstacle as an opportunity towards advancement, amen? Verse 20, Paul's life for Christ. Paul's expectation and his hope was to never be ashamed of Christ. That's amazing to me. He says, I was bold in the past and I have every intention of still living bold as I move forward. This verse echoed some of his words found in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Question, are you experiencing the power of God in your life like you would like to? If not, might I suggest you begin sharing the good news with others. The gospel is the power of God at work, amen? Yes, it's the power of God at work to save those who believe in it. But don't you think that same power is going to do a work in those that share it with others? I know it will. I know it does. In, in verse 20, there's these two words that leaped off the text to me. It's these words, expect and hope. Paul said, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. It's one thing to expect something. It's another thing to hope for something. Our expectations are dependent on someone. Hope is not. Expectation is something you anticipate because it's probable. Hope is something you desire. Expectations can be good or bad. Hope is almost always a good thing. Expectation is a strong belief about the future. Hope 
is a feeling or desire that something will happen. So clearly these are different, but when combined, like Paul did here, it's a powerful force to be reckoned with, to hope and expect in the Lord in anything. When you want, when what you want to happen and what you think will happen are in alignment, an unshakable faith begins to grow. Let us be a people who put their hope and expectation in the Lord. Amen? In verse 21, Paul starts talking about life and death. And Paul's not longing for death, but he's okay if it happens because he knows it would put him immediately in the presence of God. See, for believers, death holds no fear. For believers, death leads directly into the presence of Christ. And Paul writes about this for the next four verses, so we'll combine our commentary of them. Verses 22 through 25, one of the themes of Philippians is life and death, life versus death. See, some people want to live because they're afraid to die, but others think about death because they're afraid to truly live. Paul couldn't make up his mind between these two options, but it wasn't because of fear. He was torn because he saw benefits in both. One would benefit him, and the other would benefit his dear friends and spiritual children there in Philippi. Paul saw death as, quote, even better because he was so looking forward to spending time in eternity with Christ. We must remember for Christians, life is eternal. It starts at salvation, but it never stops. Paul knew that when he physically died, his spiritual life would continue. Paul also knew that the Philippians would benefit if he continued living because as long as he had breath in his lungs, he would be preaching and teaching about Christ. He loved the Philippians so much that he was willing to live. Think about that. A lot of times we think about loving so much that we'd be willing to die. Paul loved them so much he was willing to live if that's what God wanted so that he could help them grow and mature in your faith. That blows me away. I've had the thought that I would be willing to die for my faith. I hope that I would be if if it came down to it. I've had the thought that I'd be willing to die for my wife and our three daughters if I knew it would save them. Paul was clearly willing to die for his faith and for the Philippians, but he was also willing to live for them in spite of how badly he wanted to see Jesus, in spite of the hell that he had regularly gone through on behalf of Jesus. Paul had found the secret to a joyful life, and he was willing to postpone eternity with Christ in heaven so that he could help the Philippians experience that same joy in the middle of their opposition. Church, we have no reason to fear death, but let's not be afraid of truly living for Christ either. Amen? And notice here in verses 22 through 25, Paul's uncertainty, this tension, this Wavering between life and death has nothing to do with his tangible circumstances. The logistics of his life were irrelevant. The fact that he was in prison wasn't even part of his deliberation of whether he would rather live for Christ or die to be with him. He does not say living would be better if I were a free man. He does not say, well, if I have to stay in these chains the rest of my life, I guess I'd rather die. Paul evaluates the situation with an eternal perspective. 
we can become so blinded by our situations and we're unable to see the whole picture. Not Paul. Paul knew that what he was seeing, what he was experiencing, it was just temporary. But all of the unseen is eternal. I want to close this section by reading the message paraphrase of verses 21 through 25. Paul said, Everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a platform. Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his prize. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. As long as I'm alive in this body, there is good work for me to do. If I had to choose right now, I hardly know which I'd choose. Hard choice. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. But most days, because of what you are going through, I am sure that it's better for me to stick it out here. So I plan to be around a while. Companion to you as your growth and joy in this life of trusting God continues. Isn't that good? Verse 26, Paul finishes this portion with more words of encouragement and expectation and hope. He tells the Philippians that when he sees them again, not if, when he sees them again, that they'll have even more reason to take pride in Christ. Paul was hopeful and expectant that he would get to see the Philippians again. And it would cause them to take pride in Christ. What does that mean to take pride in Christ? Other versions say to boast in Christ or to glory in Christ. I think it's being excited about what God has done and telling others about it. Let us not boast of ourselves, but boast of the Lord. When God does something in your life, be quick to tell others about it. The good that God does in your life is never just for your benefit. When Paul and Silas were in prison that first time after visiting Philippi, they started worshiping and, and their worship uh, dropped the chains, not just that were on them, but of everyone else in that jail. What God does for you is never just for your benefit. So let's be quick to share it with other people. And when, you dot, when God does something in someone else's life, be quick to celebrate and share that too. Let's make the name of the Lord famous. Let's boast in him. A main takeaway for verses 20 through 26, it's not about me. It's all about Christ. It's not about me. It's all about Christ. Paul lived for something bigger than his circumstances. He lived for something bigger than himself. He would not let his circumstance determine his mood or his outlook or his emotions. He knew they were temporary. Our perspective should be so Christ-focused that any present difficulty or series of unfortunate events becomes blurry as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. This is one of the secrets to a joyful life. Having a purpose that is not ourselves. I think that's one of the reasons there's such a lack of joy in the world today. is because people are consumed with themselves. What's best for me? What will make me happy? What can I get out of it? It's the me culture. Let's grab a selfie. When you learn to have a greater purpose in your life than just yourself, you'll have more joy than you can handle. It's not about me. It's all about Christ. Amen? Verses 27 through 30, live as citizens of heaven. The Paul had just shared that, you know, 
when he gets to see them again. As much as Paul desired to return to Philippi and had the faith to believe that he would, his future was very uncertain, out of his control. He felt the need to prepare the Philippians for the possibility that he would not be able to return in person. So he wanted to make sure that he continued to prepare them to overcome the opposition they were facing. So he tells them to be ambassadors of Christ. He uses the context of citizenship. Remember last week, we learned that Paul was a Roman citizen, and many of those in Philippi were Roman citizens. They had certain privileges because of that citizenship. See, good citizens, whether of heaven or Rome, live in a particular way. They conduct themselves in a particular kind of way. So Paul spells this out for them, giving them specific examples of what citizenship in heaven is all about. Being a citizen of heaven means living a life worthy of the gospel. Being a citizen of heaven means conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. And remember that good news, that gospel is the power of God at work. So it's living in such a way that is worthy of carrying the power of God. This is another secret to joyful living when we do this. Paul lets them know what a citizen of heaven is, what a citizen of heaven does. A citizen of heaven stands firm in the faith. Even if the going gets tough, they do not abandon their beliefs. A citizen of heaven is proactive in influencing culture, not just reactive to what happens in it. A citizen of heaven stands together with other citizens in unity, side by side. Our faith is a team sport. It was not meant to be played alone. Paul's making that clear, and he continues here and in chapter 2 that we'll see next week. That's why he was so appreciative of their support, of their partnership. A citizen of heaven is confident because of who their faith is in, Christ alone. Paul tells the Philippians to not be intimidated by their enemies, but to recognize the strength of God that was inside of them. He told them that their lack of intimidation would intimidate the enemy. Their attitude should be, we know the truth, so what do we have to be afraid of? That's how a citizen of heaven lives. Now, although Paul was able to overlook his difficulties, he knew that the Philippians might not be mature enough to see past their circumstances. And because he loves them and he understands this, he does not minimize what they're going through. We'll find out next week what some of that opposition was. But he reminds them that trusting in Christ is a privilege, but there's another privilege, and that is suffering for Christ. That's one that we oftentimes would like to go without. The privilege and honor of suffering for Christ. That seems so opposite. But Paul writes about this in some of his other letters too. The privilege, privilege of suffering for Christ. And we see something similar in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So Paul reminds them that He's still fighting with them in this struggle. See, when you're in real koinonia with somebody, you're able to sympathize and empathize with them and bear one another burdens, as Galatians 6.2 says. Carry each other's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. I don't know if you've ever helped somebody move a 
sofa sleeper up or down stairs. Oh my gosh. I've moved one down three flights of stairs, right? And we tried to strap it so it wouldn't come undone. We weren't so successful. It is a bear to bear one another's burdens, but that's what happens in community and fellowship. We see someone else carrying something that they're having trouble with, we help them carry it. That's what Paul reminded them of and encouraged them that he was doing with them. To borrow a line from High School Musical, he was saying, we're all in this together. A main takeaway from verses 27 through 30 is this. A citizen of heaven stands firm in their faith and stands together with other citizens in unity. We've got to have the right perspective, God's perspective. If we do, it'll help us live a life worthy of the gospel. When we reframe our situations and see our circumstances as challenges that we can overcome, we're living a life worthy of the gospel. When our hope and our expectation is in Christ alone, we will live a life worthy of the gospel. When our lives are not all about us and instead they are all about Christ, we will live a life worthy of the gospel. And Paul makes it clear that this citizenship of heaven will not be without its struggles. Church, God knows if, if and when you're struggling with something. I know many of you are struggling with something this morning. He doesn't expect you to ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist, but don't let that stop you from spiritual growth. Stand firm and confident as a citizenship, as a citizen of heaven. Stay dependent on Christ and interdependent on the church. Then you will have joy, not from knowing how things are going to turn out, but from an eternal perspective that puts your focus on Christ. And let me encourage you, if you feel like you've been suffering for Christ or because of Christ, be encouraged because that means you're doing something right. The enemy does not mess with believers that are apathetic in their faith. The enemy is not concerned about citizens of heaven that are ashamed of their citizenship and not living like it. It's a privilege to trust in Christ and to suffer for him. Suffering, church, is not a sign of sin or distance from God. On the contrary, suffering for Christ is often the sign of a life surrendered to God. Suffering for Christ increases our understanding of all that Christ has suffered for us. I wanna invite you to stand. Everything in life has the potential to connect us with Christ. Everything in life gives us the opportunity to choose joy. And if we will choose joy and find Christ in every part of life, the good and the bad, it will be a joyful life. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to do better. Help us to live for you. Help us to focus on you. Help us to reframe our situations. Help us to live with an eternal perspective. Remind us that we're not in control, but you are. Help us choose joy. In Jesus' name, amen.